Hello and welcome to the weekend edition of Small Batches. I'm your host, Adam Hawkins. Our normal episodes are short and focused on a specific topic, small enough that you can listen to them whenever. The weekend editions are a bit different. There's more time, less structure, and more exploration. On the weekend edition, I explore software delivery through conversations with industry leaders. This weekend, I'm speaking with Saeed Khan about product management. I know Saeed from the Flow Collective, and a recent post of his on LinkedIn really resonated with me. A lot of the time on the show, we cover the best ways to build software. Saeed and I talk about the side of product management that actually precedes building software. We begin with the framework for product management and continue on from there. All right, enough from me. Let's hear from Saeed. Well, Saeed, welcome to the show. So happy to have you here. For the listeners who may not be familiar with you, why don't you introduce yourself in your own words and the type of work that you do? Sure. Thanks, Adam. So I'm Saeed Khan. I'm based in Toronto, Canada. I work as a product management consultant, generally speaking. That means I work either with software and technology companies or technology organizations in larger companies. And Really what I try and focus on is helping them build better products, but also better product organizations. So a lot of the work ends up being working with the team members, working on better skills, better process, better organizational alignment. And then through that work, they can then build better, more successful products. And so a lot of my focus is either on the early stage work, strategy, road mapping, planning, or the later stage, which is really once a product is released, operationalizing it and really optimizing that product for whatever markets they have. Right. So for the listeners, they probably don't know this, but you and I have actually been talking on and off through the weekly meetings of the Flow Collective. And in the Flow Collective, there's a mix of a bunch of different people. You've got product side, consultants, engineers, etc. But you and me are coming at the area of building products and building businesses, you coming from the product side and me coming from the engineering side. You know, a lot of the talk on the podcast so far has been around like, okay, we have something, we need to build it. What does it mean to actually build this, say, in a good way without really giving more focus to like what comes before? So the signal to me that I was like, okay, I really got to talk to you about this was something you have posted on. LinkedIn. And I'll put a link to this in the show notes, but it was just a slide that had a hierarchy of, I think, was it business, like vision, objectives, and strategy, and then product objectives, and then like roadmap. And it just landed with me so perfectly because it seemed to convey a good mental model of what it meant to do, quote, product well, but then also revealed to me like where I had been feeling the gap was like in my career. So can you tell us a little bit more about this post and like why you structured it like that? Sure. Yeah. So the post, if you think of layers at the very top, I had, like you said, business vision, objectives, and strategy, right? And so every company should have, in theory, a vision. They almost always have some form of objectives and hopefully they have some strategies to achieve those objectives. And So when I wrote it, I think most of the work that I do is obviously from a product perspective. So 
I didn't really elaborate that far, but underneath it, I elaborated. So there was product vision and then product objectives, then product strategy, and at the very bottom, product plans. And sorry, product roadmap and product plans, yeah. And then there was a line down the side that just said constraints. So essentially, mm-hmm. you start at the top, the business defines the context overall, and then every product supports that. So the vision of a product should support the vision of the company, right? You don't want to say, hey, we're a business intelligence company, and then you've got some gaming product on the side, right? So the product vision supports the company vision, and then the objectives, strategy, roadmap, and plans all support that. And when you get to the bottom of the plans, like your plans are not just, hey, what should we build? It's what did our roadmap direct us to do? Well, that came from our strategies, and that came from our objectives, and that came from our vision. So there's this alignment. And the way that diagram came about was that in the work that I do, so when I work with software companies, people know all those terms, right? Everyone talks about vision and objectives and strategy and roadmaps and plans, and but people didn't have a clear picture of how they fit together properly mm-hmm. and how they could be used together to move forward together. So. As an example, the most obvious one is the word roadmap, right? You ask people what the word roadmap is, and you'll get very different answers. Oftentimes, the roadmap is the plan. What are you building? Let's look at the roadmap. And so that's an obvious one, and you want to separate roadmaps and plans, and we can get into that. Even strategy. Ask someone, what's the strategy? Oh, our strategy is to be number one in the market. No, that's an objective, right? The strategy is how you could become number one in the market. And then so on. So all these things fit together. When people talk about business, they talk about business vision, objective strategy, et cetera. For some reason, it seems clearer on the business side, but the analogs are there on the product side. And it makes sense to really think about them explicitly and then identify them and work through them. And so that's the origin of that. And really, when I've used it, maybe the same way you saw it, Adam, people go, oh, okay, it makes sense. And just to be clear, like it's a framework and a framework, all frameworks are wrong. Some are useful. It presents a certain point of view. Right. And it's a point of view that I find useful in the work that I do. I don't claim it's right for all situations, but it's a sense-making tool and it does make sense for a lot of people. So that's the ultimate use of it. I like that you used the phrase sense-making because I don't know how it, Exactly, it's defined, but sense-making refers to a way to make sense of the world around us and how we act. So from this framework you put together, in your mind, it's hierarchical. So like if you imagine the diagram, like at the top, there's a vision and then the constraints flow downward. So you begin at the top and work your way down to the bottom, correct? Yes, ideally. Okay, so then... Ideally, right? You have a vision, you figure out, okay, what are our objectives? What's our strategy? How are we going to do that? Okay, and then what do we need to do to actually implement the strategy? And then is it roadmap for how to do? Is at the bottom or did I get the order? Roadmap and then plans. Plans at the bottom. So can you talk a little bit more about the difference between roadmap and plans? So I'm coming at this from, let's put the engineer's shoes on here. I'm sitting in my sprint and or whatever it is I'm doing. And the PM says like, here's the roadmap. And the roadmap is just like, I don't know. It could be anything. Who knows? It's just like the list of stuff that we're going to be doing. But 
How am I supposed to make sense of this? Okay. Let me start with kind of a couple of simple definitions, and then I'll, I can elaborate. Mm-hmm. So when I say the word roadmap, a roadmap is a statement of priority and direction. So, so kind of like a vector. Kind of a vector. What's important and what's important to take you somewhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. So a plan is a statement of commitment and delivery. Okay. Mm. And so you can see the difference between you just in those words <laughs> and they're intentional. A plan, we're going to achieve something very specific and we've scoped it out or we've done whatever homework we need to do and we're committing to something, right? You now you can commit to whatever you want, but contrast that to the roadmap again, priority and direction. So, hey, I want to fly to San Francisco or fly to Hawaii to meet you, Adam. That's the objective, right? Right. And I want to do it in the next three months and blah, blah, blah. That's sort of the priority of it. Mm-hmm. But the actual plan is I'm going to book a flight on Hawaiian Airlines on this date and I'm going to fly through San Francisco and I'm going to stop and meet a friend and so on. Like it's all the details that you've worked out. And so the idea is that the roadmap is really an articulation of strategy. And when we say roadmap, there's lots of different kinds of roadmaps. But when people generally say the word roadmap, they mean product roadmap. Mm-hmm. And A product roadmap is the product-centric portion of your overall strategy. Yeah, your business strategy in this case, right? Your business strategy, exactly, right? Yeah. As an example, let's say you have a company and you have a strategy to expand internationally. And you say, okay, you know what? Over the next couple of years, we're going to expand into Latin America. So what does that mean? Well, we have to open an office there. We have to look for some resellers. We're going to have to figure out how we're going to support our customers there. There's going to be some marketing. Obviously, it has to be done, et cetera, et cetera. And, oh, by the way, we probably need to localize our product in multiple ways, one of which is language. So you've got this strategy to expand. You want to grow. How are you going to grow? Well, we're going to expand it to Latin America. There's a whole bunch of things you're doing in your company and in your product. And so that thing to localize your product, to support that expansion is Strategic, it's important. You got to do it. And so that's the strategic part that you put on your roadmap. Now, we're not saying it has to be done by a certain date and exactly which languages and what order and all that. That'll Mm -hmm. come into play and we'll figure that out. But we probably want to say, look, if our goal is next year, we're going to generate X amount of revenue, our plan is to generate X amount of revenue, then we better get started on that localization soon, right? Yeah. So that's kind of this difference is that the strategic stuff is part of your roadmap and then that feeds down into your plan because your plan is, hey, one of the things we got to do is do this localization, but we got all these other commitments as well. Those are all in the plan, right? They're not on the roadmap because that's not the strategic stuff. Right. So one of the reasons why I really like this hierarchical model is that it allows Anybody who's engaging with these things, be it from product, engineering, marketing, or any place in the value stream, to able to answer why at each level yes. about like the relevant thing, right? So I'm sure you've observed this in your own, in, like in your own work, but you already mentioned the conflation of roadmap and plan, and people yeah. they see things and there's stuff that's just injected in here and Nobody can even say why it's even being done in the first place, right? And if you don't have, say, all these different areas, maybe like all teams are going to have some concept of 
what's happening like in the next sprint or 30 days, 60 days, whatever. That's just a fact of life. But yeah. maybe what's not true is the stuff above that, like the business vision, the strategy. So like if you working with a team who's in this state, what advice can you give to that team? So let's go back to this model, right? Vision, objective, strategy, roadmap, et cetera. You said it correctly. It's a why. And the why is really a way to prioritize, right? It's telling you what's important. And so as you prioritize based on why, you're keeping that connection across the level. So when you get down to the bottom, the why, you can cascade up and you go, oh, because this thing in the roadmap, because this thing as a strategy, because this thing as an objective. And so you can connect the dots, right? And that's, I think, really important because then you know you're going in the right direction, right? The work you're doing is important. If you're not having that connection, then you're doing prioritization some other way. Mm. So you have to ask yourself, what's the why in our case? Because there is a why. Someone's deciding, is it because that's what sales said or the CEO said or someone made an arbitrary decision that something's important, or maybe there are some valid reasons, but they're not visible. So I think, I think understanding the why is really important. And then I think really having a clear understanding of towards what end. So again, even if you don't have mm. all the other stuff lined up, what overall objective are we trying to reach? Is it just delivery? In some cases, that's all you have, but Right. Something else. Is there a revenue target? Is there a business target? Is it tied to acquisition? Is it tied to something else? That should be clear. Most engineers I've worked with, they want to understand the why because they want to know that they're working on something important, right? Like I'm going to spend my time and I want to know that this time is going to be spent in a way that's meaningful to the company, right? And this is where I talk about engineering and product management. This is mm. a big area where there's contention because the two have to work together, right? The product manager is often the biggest source of input into an engineering group in terms of the work that they do. Mm -hmm. And often the clarity of thinking isn't there from product manager. I'll be friending. I've heard a lot of stories about not so great product managers. And, and I've seen in my work, some of the requirements and some of the documents that are shared and some of the comments on the documents and, you know, it's like, yeah, I agree with engineer. Like, <laughs> this is really terrible. And the point is that you want to get all that out of the way. So why are we doing this? Well, there's this higher reason, right? It's not my arbitrary decision as a product manager because I talked to some big customer. So I think the advice, getting back to your question, Adam, is find out the why and then get some clarity on how that why helps the business. And then work towards shifting to this structure where you can connect the dots easily. And I think that works for not just engineering, but that works for marketing, that works for sales, right? Everybody needs that alignment because whatever comes out of engineering and product has to be marketed and has to be sold. And they need to know, why did yeah. we build it? So while you were talking, you mentioned that in some cases we have lacking in product management the answer to some of those why questions is not always there. And that's definitely been my experience in some cases, definitely not all, but there's cases where there's a gap. And I think we could recognize that. But the question is, where is that gap? And based off of this hierarchy of vision, strategy, roadmap, and plan, what inputs, like what sources of information do we need to be forming those things or like making good 
decisions at each level so that we can do better in product management? So I don't think there's a single place where there's a gap, right? It's really situational. Mm -hmm. I think it could be, and I'll say it from the product management side, but it could be a gap in skills and knowledge from a Mm -hmm. product manager. So they're not understanding either what they have to do or how they have to work. It could be a gap in the ability to communicate. I've seen people who, yeah, they can define things, they can do their research, et cetera, but there's some just their ability to really communicate and get the message across the engineering isn't there. Maybe there's a technical expectation from engineering that isn't met by the product manager. There could be trust issues. If you've ever gone to a company where there have been some of these issues between product management and engineering, let's say, and the previous product manager left and Mm -hmm. you're there, but you're there in the shadow of the previous product manager. And so they're going to look at you as like, well, here's another person we have to deal with as opposed to getting a fresh start. So it really depends. I think sometimes it's organizational as well. I work in some companies where the engineering teams were not only very technical and very technically adept, but very technically minded, Mm -hmm. but also they had a lot of influence in the company. And so I remember one company and I overlapped with the outgoing product manager and he gave me the briefing about how to work with certain engineering leaders. And he said, look, and I'm paraphrasing because it was a long time ago, but it was something like, he does not want a product manager telling him what he should build. And what do you do at that point? You have to work with the person. And so it varies. What I've seen though on the flip side is that I think most engineering teams want a credible partner in product management. And I think this is where Quite honestly, I don't think engineers want to be hard asses and want to tell product managers, go away, we know what's best. I think most of them are mature enough to understand that, yeah, there's a value that product management brings and we want to benefit from that. But there's an expectation of knowledge, insight, depth of analysis Mm. and those types of things. So you have to figure out how to find that match and understand what's required and build up trust. And I think the trust is the key factor. And once you can do that and you're speaking the same language and working in the same way, there's a lot of freedom you can have. And I just think back to my own experiences in a couple of companies. There's a bit of a honeymoon period in the beginning. Okay, you're getting up to speed. We'll give yeah. you a little slack. But a month or two in, it's like, dude, what are you doing? Do your job. And it's a hard job. I mean, product management is a hard job. Engineers are tough customers. But, and I'll say this, I think the onus is more on the product managers to understand how to do that work. Yes, there has to be some slack of engineering, but I'm working with engineering as a product manager. I'm working with marketing. I'm working with sales. I'm working with support. I'm working Mm cross-functionally. So I can't expect every group to bend towards me, right? That's unreasonable. Right. So I bend towards them. And so that's what I mean by saying that. I'm not saying that engineering gets special treatment. It's just that I need to work the way that works well with them, but also I can work marketing, et cetera. And that's tough for a number of reasons. And I think a lot of product managers who are new and who don't understand that and who don't maybe understand the culture of engineering or can speak as fluent in the technology struggle. And it's a hard problem to solve. So I think the flip side of that, though, is that the product manager shouldn't be left alone in that. I think that the product leadership, so their manager or the head of whoever, needs to be able to find a culture 
and needs to be able to support the product managers in the work that they do. And I think, quite honestly, that's often lacking in many companies for various reasons. You're saying the support from, as I say, generally speaking, product leadership as vaguely as we could define it, right? Yes. I think support in general, because most product managers, even if you have a product management organization, most product managers are individual contributors working with other groups. Mm-hmm. It's not that there's a little product management team that works with other groups. It's right. three product managers on three different products working with other groups, right? So yeah. I think that's part of the challenge. And then the other one is, yes, absolutely, from the top down, right? That I think there's a real dearth of strong product leadership in many companies. I've seen it in some extreme cases. and it sort of makes no sense in some places, but it's also tied to a misunderstanding what product management is. So as an example, would you ever hire a sales VP who had never been a salesperson and never done sales? <laughs> you might, but you'd probably regret it really quickly. And the same with marketing and the same with engineering. And yet I've seen many cases where there's a head of product or a VP of product who has never done product before. And yet, is supposed to support these people who are doing a tough job. And they think that it's possible for some people to learn how to be that leader and to give the right support. But just like every other function, right? There's skills and knowledge Mm. and patterns. And you need to be able to recognize those and support those and help people. And if you don't have the background, then how are you going to help them, right? Like if someone's struggling with discovery work and you've never formally, what are you going to do to help them? And again, I don't want to disparage anyone because I've seen people succeed, but I think it's a really tough place to be as a leader managing people whose job you've never done and don't understand at a details level. Yeah. So I got one more question on the product side before we change gears a little bit, talk about the collaboration side. So say, let's say that I'm a product manager, I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm really digging what these people are talking about. I get this hierarchy, business, vision, strategy, roadmap, plan, and I'm sitting here, I'm the PM on a team, and I'm trying to put a plan or roadmap together, but those higher level things are not clear to me. What should I do in this scenario? (laughs) Get clarity? Yeah. So work your way up. Like you can function without a clear vision, like a clearly defined vision. Like you kind of know where your product, let's say you have an existing product. You kind of know what your product does and where it's headed and the kinds of things you need to do. And what you want to do is say, okay, and again, we're talking strictly from the engineering product management relationship side, right? We're not talking about more cross-functional work. Mm -hmm. So if it's a question of what should I build or what should I research and work with engineering to build, work your way up. Say, okay, like we talked earlier about objectives. So what are the objectives, right? What are we trying to achieve? At least have that as some defined direction you could head. But then even if it's not clear, like even if it's just a revenue target, well, your product has to make 10 million. Mm-hmm. Well, we only million last year. <laughs> what, what are, what are you going to do? But get some clarity on that, but then break that out and say, okay, what are the ways we can do that? And you're not going to do it all by building stuff. Like you just can't build your way to growth. It's not like, hey, we added 87 features 
we're going to grow by 62%. It doesn't work. So you have to have that conversation with your managers and say, okay, what is really the goal that we can actually achieve? And then let's talk about the how. And some of the how will definitely be product, but some of the how will be sales and marketing and licensing and pricing and a lot of things that have nothing to do with working with engineering per se. But yeah. that well discussion has to be, it has to be had, right? Because otherwise you're just in that feature factory of building stuff and delivering it and someone else takes care of it afterwards, which I think it's, for a lot of people, it's the reality of their job, but also it's not an inspiring world to be in because you're just so disconnected from success, right? And someone asked me once, they said, what's the goal of product management? Mm. How do you measure product management? And it's a tough question if you really wanted to get super analytic about it. But the way I look at it is like product management is about driving product success. And success is defined by whatever success metrics are important to your company. And it could be growth. It could be customer acquisition. It could be revenue, profit, retention, whatever. Like it totally depends on the product and the market and the maturity. But you want to have some sense of that. And once you have that, what's success? What are objectives? What's the how? Then you can frame some of the other discussions. And it doesn't have to be a big formal process, but it should be some clear discussions with your managers. Because if everything is just coming top down, hey, here's your next task, here's your next task, here's your next task. Great, but you're not, I mean, I'll say this and I don't want to disparage you, but you're not a product manager, you're a delivery manager. And again, that's the reality of job. There's many people who have the title of product manager who work that way, but product management is about driving success and you're not driving success unless success is successful delivery. Mm. So there's two things you said that I think are good segues into the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. The first one was putting the how before the what. Like, we're just going to do this, but for what purpose? Unknown, right? And then the other one is the difference between being a product manager and a delivery manager. I see those two things as being related in some way. So the first one is the difference between being a product manager and being a delivery manager. In the delivery manager case, you're working kind of at the plan level. You have constraints and you're saying this person is tasked with making sure X, Y, and Z happens by a certain time and delivers A, B, and C, right? There's not that much to discover in this case, right? You're just, in a sense, making thing, here's something that is a more, say, controlled or known environment, go off and do it, right? Versus a product manager maybe operating at the level of the roadmap or the strategy is thinking, okay, what do I need to do? What questions do I need to answer to get to the how I'm going to do this? Then how does that filter down into the roadmap, into the plan, right? Yeah. And this sort of comes back to the mental model of, say, engineering, right? Like on the podcast, like in the Flow Collective, we talk a lot about the nature of like the work that we do, knowledge work. A lot of there's a lot of uncertainty that we optimize for learning. We try to break down problems. We admit that we don't know and we take like a discovery mindset. We work in small batches. We work iteratively quickly and we try to like incrementally build larger things based off of an increasingly confirmed body of knowledge that we sort of confirm through experiments. We can do all kinds of things to confirm our understanding of the reality. Like it's a sense-making thing. Do you feel the same way kind of about product managers? 
Yeah, in general, in general. So I'm going to say a couple of things. So absolutely, I think in general, product management is about making bets. Mm. And some of them are small, some of them are big, but you're making a series of, let's call them smart bets. I'm saying that because there was a tweet today by someone I know who talked about marketing as being a discipline of making smart bets. And I thought, yeah, that's absolutely true. And then I said, wow, that's actually how I think about product as well. Because you're doing things, then there's uncertainty, right? Nothing's certain in terms of what will be successful. You have data, hopefully, and evidence to support your decisions. But ultimately, it's a bet. And some of them are small and some of them are big, but they're all bets. And you afford it. And hopefully, you're making you know, winning bets more than you're making losing bets. So I think that model makes sense. The other thing, though, about product management, and here's another quote, which is that, and I believe my friend Steve Johnson, who's also a product management consultant, said this, but I've used it many times and I've been trying to find out where I heard it. I think he's already said it, but it's said, sales is responsible for this year's revenue. Product management is responsible for next year's revenue. Mm. And I like that quote because it just frames the way you have to think, right? Which is that, you're really thinking about the future, right? There's little that you can do now, today, to impact the revenue. Like your product is your product, sales is selling it, marketing is marketing it. And you're saying, okay, how do we get to that next big thing or that next milestone we need from a product perspective? And so that next year, our revenue, which is hopefully significantly more than this year, can be attained. And so that's, I think, a difference in the sense that it's hard to work in small batches way in the future, right? If that makes sense. Like I'm doing little things now, but right. I have to think big. And so it's a bit of a dichotomy, but I think it's part of the challenge that the things we're doing today, we will know if we made the right bet at some point in the future. And you know, often it is next year. Yeah, I think that's where sort of the tension is between, yeah, we have, say, a larger long-term vision, and this could be at an unknown indefinite point in the future, right? Versus there's the day and the week and what are we doing to either continuously move and the challenge is like, yeah, I have this vision, but how are you going to get there? How can you break that down? How can you actually make consistent progress towards this thing to where yeah. like, yeah, we want to make a big bet, but it's not going to happen overnight, right? What really boggles my mind is like Apple, they made their new CPU, Apple Silicon, changed their architecture, like a total unfathomable amount of stuff to consider in building this thing, right? Who knows how long those timelines were, but they did it. And wow, but like, what can we learn from that? Like, how can we think? But I get distracted a little bit, but the next area I want to talk to you about is more like on the collaboration between engineering and product, right? Sure. And one of the questions I asked earlier is, what information do we need at the different levels in this model to collaborate effectively? So I've definitely experienced this. and I'm sure you have product and you have these people are trying to decide what they're going to do. And engineers are talking about things like, okay, we have technical debt and this and that. And we have these things that we want to make. How can the combination of product and engineering make sense of these things so that as engineers, you know, maybe it's an implicit why we should do these sort of things. And we just say, we're going to do this or whatever. And the same thing on the product side where maybe engineering, they just receive a ticket or something and says, okay, do X, Y, and Z. But the why is unclear. How can we make sense of 
all these different things that we're all trying to factor into our decision making? Oh, yeah, that's a hard one because I don't think there's an easy way to describe that because it's a moving target and Mm -hmm. everybody has a different perspective on it. So here's how I look at it, right? A lot of the work of product management is not about the technical stuff. Right. It's actually about creating common context and alignment of direction with different groups, right? So cross-functional management. Engineering is the one that gets most of the attention, but helping sales and keeping them at bay, so to speak, (laughs) right? Making sure that marketing understands what's being done and is leveraging the work that product and engineering are doing to maximum benefit, right? Helping other groups who are onboarding customers or supporting customers and keeping them aligned. So this is something that a lot of product managers actually don't have the opportunity to do in some cases or don't understand that they need to do, right? Which is that when I said product success earlier, Mm -hmm. product success is not about just the product, so to speak, right? It's what is done with the product and by who and when and in what ways, et cetera. And you can play like the telephone game and have handoffs across teams, but you know the end result that always leads to. And so even though product management is thinking about the future and like I said, next year's revenue or whatever, when you think about the company and you think about the company as a system, product management is the earliest thinking group in terms of things that should be done. You're working on the least tangible part of it. Marketing markets a real product. Sales sells a real product. Support supports a real product. Right. Product management thinks about what is that real product that these other groups will work on. And so there's a lot of thought that needs to happen and a lot of information. And I think that the first consumer of that work is engineering. And so the thing that you want to do is when you get back to your question about all these things sense making is have a really great collaborative, common context, communicative relationship with engineering. I'll say this, I've had, maybe I was lucky, but I've had great experiences with engineering teams with one exception. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my first job as a product manager, my first job, wonderful dev managers that I worked with. And we just, I'm still friends with them today, like 20 odd years later, wow. seriously. So met them in the late 90s. And I still, you know, on LinkedIn, we'll ping each other and pandemics aside, we'll meet for lunch once in a while kind of thing. But those relationships need to be built and they need to happen. And then you need to bring people along together, right? The days of handoffs, product manager went and did the, the requirements gathering and then handed off whatever, 80 bazillion Jura stories or whatever, like those are long gone. So you want to build that common knowledge together. You want to understand each other's world and you want to move forward together. A lot of times there's scrum teams and you've got product owners and you also have product managers and maybe the product owners in engineering, but the product managers in product management or whatever, some other org. And they might have different goals and they're measured by different metrics and things, but you need to figure out how they can work together and be collaborative, like truly collaborative. I use the phrase aligned goals, mm-hmm. that you want them to have these aligned goals. And then saying the discovery work, they work together in the planning work, they work together, the road mapping, there's some collaboration, et cetera. And once you get into that set of relationships, all those questions you had start becoming easier to answer. Right. Because we're working towards the same goals. 
you're working with common context, you're sharing knowledge back and forth. And again, I don't know if I was fortunate or not, but I had those kind of relationships in a lot of companies. And so I've seen some of the not so good sides, but maybe I've been, that's been a minor part of my career. Hmm. Well, lucky for you. It's like one of the things that, no, it's not sarcastic, but if you work in the industry long enough, you work on a wide enough variety of teams, you'll find that some teams are clearly better at other things and work better in different ways. And it is a lucky experience that people just get to have one of those in their career, right? Maybe that doesn't necessarily hit like all the different areas of like this collaboration, but to have, wow, say you meet one team who say is just like really good at testing and like really cares about quality and knows like it's just on it, right? You have another team who is like just bang on user research, knows what to do. And just to get some signal of say what good looks like, because Sure, we can read about it, we can talk about it and all this, but until you're actually there in the team working in such a way where you're like, wow, this is what these people were talking about, this is what I was missing. But you know what? I'll say this. You use the phrase, what good looks like. You have to make good. You have to create good in your environment, right? And it's not always possible. There's some toxic cultures. I've seen them where there's politics and power plays and agendas and lack of skills and and it's just not going to get fixed right and then there's the org is being held together by a few heroes who are right. just making stuff happen and one of those heroes leaves and something breaks and so i think in most cases and i try and get people to benefit doubt right people want to do good they want to do good they want to work in a good environment so my thing about you have to create good or you have to make it happen is figure it out figure out the right way to work with the people that you're working with. And hopefully they reciprocate and say, okay, yeah, how can we work together and be good? But one of the challenges is that there are a lot of product managers, and I'll be critical about product management. There's a lot of product managers who are put into situations that they're not ready for. And again, going back to that issue of support without Mm. the support, and they're fake it till you make it. Like they're they're not making it. (laughs) There's a lot of fake and not a lot of making. And that lasts a long time, even if they leave that toxicity or whatever that happened. So, but I look back, I mean, there's one company where we had two products and two major product teams and one team was awesome. Everything about them, like they were such a pleasure to work with in terms of communication and the quality of the code they wrote and how the product performed. And their team, really great guys, really great people, but the quality of their code was terrible. The product was buggy, stuff wasn't really designed well. And it was weird because it's not a huge company. And we spent a lot of time just working with them really closely to figure out why. And Mm -hmm. we did a bug fix only beta for five months. Wow, five months. Yeah. People would die to hear that if they could know they could actually just fix bugs for five five months on places I've worked. But think about how bad the situation was that oh yeah that's what had to be done but we have to manage sales right like we meaning product management and i went to sales and i said look we're not delivering anything new for at least half a year because we need to fix bugs and here's what we can do to help you etc and we went to marketing and we you know so as a product manager 
I took that on and the team got the time to fix all those problems. And yeah, we came out of it better, et cetera. But those are the kind of things like, how do you make good? Well, you do what it takes. And some product managers aren't ready for that. Some product managers don't know how to do that. Some cultures wouldn't yeah, allow that. not ready for it. Yeah. There's a difference between like individual aims and systemic constraints. Yes. Yes. So you were talking about bugs. How much do you think that product really needs to know or understand about engineering? So on a systems level, <laughs> the interface has to be clear. If I say, you know, are you tightly coupled or loosely coupled with them? What's uh-huh. the interface with them? I think those are things just at that level. Obviously, we're not systems. So we're human beings and, and we're not APIs, et cetera. So yeah, you want to understand them. You want to know a bit about their world. I'm old enough to remember when nightly builds were a thing. Right. And like you'd come in the next morning and the build was broken for some reason, right? And then, but I never built anything. I've written code 25 years ago and that was the last time I ever wrote <laughs> code. But you understand their world. You understand their challenges. You want to accommodate them as needed. You know, think just the story I told, right? About the bug fix thing, right? Like we sat down and had that talk. What the hell is going on with this product? Because like support is just getting bug after bug, issue after issue come in and we've got unsatisfied customers. And Okay, fine. Like we're not blaming anyone, but how can we fix this, right? What's the path forward? And when they told us we need three or four months, well, at the first point, you're like, whoa. And then it turns into five months. But you know what? Like three to four turns into five, fine. You know, it yeah. turn into 12, different story. Different story. But I think you need to understand that world. You need people speak the same language. And you also need to be able to say, hey, I don't understand what you're saying. (laughs) But you have to be able to do it and be frank about it and then hear them and then understand, right? So I think just getting that common language, understanding the dynamics, understanding the challenge they face, and then sharing that back. I think a lot of engineers don't understand all the bullshit, quite honestly, that product managers deal with. Mm. I did bring the dev manager over to sales to tell the sales group, hey, nothing for four or five months, right? Like right. I went off and did that because that was the thing I had to do. And so you want to just have that kind of relationship and understand each other. And, and again, you know, it's aligned on objectives. We're working towards the same goals. Let's figure out how we can work together. So it's hard to say. I mean, I come from a technical background, so I understand software, I understand software architecture and things like that. So I didn't have to struggle to understand the world of software developers. But I think some product managers who come from other disciplines and don't have that background and work in technical environments, right? Mm. They can struggle. Now, you don't have to understand how to write code unless you're the product manager for an API product or something. Yeah, you're a product manager for a coding product. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But if you're a product manager for Salesforce application, that front end, and it has nothing to do with the back end, force.com, you don't need to understand that, but you do have to speak the language and, or you have to have the support structure that can help you there, right? So as an example, in one company I worked, we had product manager, which is what my role was, just roughly speaking. And we had technical product managers and the technical product managers were much more closely tied to engineering. And it was a server virtualization product. So it was a very technical product. And then we just worked together. And if I needed some of the technology translated, the technical product manager could do it. Right. I know what a device driver is, but don't tell me 
I need to understand the details of device drivers. Yeah. Okay, Saeed. So let's say that you come into, you know, you're a consultant. So you work with a variety of companies. You see a variety of teams. Let's say that you're, you come to a client and you see, you know, you got a product team, you got the PMs, mixed team, you got, you know, engineering. What are you looking at to sort of gauge the health of the collaboration between a product and engineering? That's a great question, actually. That's a really good question. I listen a lot. So what I'll do is I'll come in and I'll do a, a bunch of interviews and I'll have one-on-ones with people and I'll talk to them about their process and so on. But I listen for certain words and it's, I don't think it's a conscious thing. Like I don't have a list of 12 keywords to listen for, mm-hmm. but you hear it when you hear words like them and they, and we do this and you pick up the language or tell me about how you did this and then they'll talk about it. But there's a lot of vagueness about the collaboration that should be going on. And on, on both sides, right? So engineering and product management. So those are the kinds of things that give me insight. I mean, I do it in a formal way. I have a formal process I follow. So I, I don't just do it in a very subjective way. But at a high level, those are the kind of signals I hear. I'll tell you another one that is just kind of a bit of red flag is when I talk to engineering and then I hear a lot of, we're agile, we're agile. Like people <laughs> point out that they're agile. And on the one hand, I'm just like, why even... Why do you feel you have to tell me that? But my corollary or whatever you want to call it, my, my theory is that your agility is inversely proportional to the number of times you say you're agile. So, you know, your <laughs> yeah. actual level. So the more you say you're agile, the less likely you're probably agile. It's um, like with Tywin, on Game of Thrones, Tywin Lannister has this quote. He says, the king does not need to say he is the king. Everyone <laughs> knows it, right? <laughs> exactly. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you can hear it very quickly. Like you talk to people who should probably be collaborating with each other and you get complete different stories about the world they live in, right? And yeah. you just go, well, really? <laughs> Your counterpart doesn't see the world in that way at all. The other thing when you look at objectives, what success mean to you? And again, people who should be collaborating have very different definitions of success. Yeah. So... I'll just say this, and I don't want to sound kind of aloof or anything, but it comes across very quickly, right? That mm-hmm. there's problems. I don't know what those problems are. I can dig deeper and get to them, but you hear them very quickly. Okay. Yeah. So an increasingly strong trigger for me is people who make assertions about the world, but with no information to back it up, right? Like, yeah. oh, we're going to do this feature and it's going to generate like X amount of revenue or this number of signups or whatever it is. And then you will ask a question like, how? And they're like, well, it just will. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I'm skeptical of that. Sure. There's an idea here, but yes. like by what method, how, what information do you have to actually confirm these hypotheses? Yeah. It's like on both ends of the collaboration between engineering and product, both ends can be overly assertive about what they will do without sufficient understanding of why they should do it, how they will check their progress, et cetera, et cetera, right? And when both ends make the assertions, like without the real understanding, that's where both ends can really get out of whack and lead to that negative like spiraling of the lack of trust, right? Where like, Engineering only sees product who want to do features or whatever it is. And then engineering is like, they never give us time for 
the technical debt or the bug fixes or whatever. Yeah. And then it's like they and them. And exactly. you already see exactly where the whole thing is going. Yeah. Know, just from this framing of the collaboration, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other one and I've seen is just the spread of titles in the org. Like I remember going to one company and they had product managers and project managers and delivery managers and scrum masters. And it was just like, I think I, in a group of about 20 something people that I interviewed, there were a dozen different titles. And I was just trying to like, how did this happen? And it happened because they evolved over time and they had an old model and then they moved to a new model, but you can't just get rid of the old people so they can repurpose them, but they still had their old title, et cetera. So you see that and you can tell like, okay, they're trying. It's not like they're not trying, but they're struggling to find an optimized way of working. And so you see a lot of legacy type of practices and then sort of new, like, oh, we were this, then we went for agile training, and then we implemented Scrum, and then we went for some other kind of training, and then we did this. And you can see the history of all the training that they did. Yeah. yeah. All the roles are carried forward. Yeah. Okay, I got one last question for you before we wrap up here, and it relates to like the tools of the different domains, right? Engineers by design need to be analytical, right? Like we strive as much as possible to be empirical, think scientifically, use facts, data analysis to drive decisions, right? And I think there's maybe a hope from engineers that you'd see the same sort of values reflected in product managers, not delivery managers, but product yep. managers who need to yep. try to like make sense of the world. Yep. Inside engineering, we have our tools for empiricism. You know, we have production operations, we have SLOs, we use metrics like to really understand what's happening. Like, what are the tools of empiricism in the domain of product management? Excel. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, so I think the tools have evolved a lot over the last decade. When I started, it was Excel, but that was a long, long time ago. But now, just as an example, there's a lot of product analytics tools, right? So companies like Pendo and Amplitude and Mixed Panel and so on, right? That primarily for SaaS companies that they can give you really good detailed information about user behavior inside of your application, right? And that's a huge step up from just web analytics or whatever was there before, because they're really focused on product use scenarios, not just web pages and things like that. So that's one of them. And I think those products have really changed how a lot of product managers think about their job, because now they do have real user data. Now, that's after you release your product, right? That's <laughs> when you build something and it's actually being used. And I think, which is great. It's really something you need. But there's the other side, which is before you built your product. Mm. And I think there, it's still working. So the discovery work that's done, right? How do you go out and do good research and then produce really great evidence and insights that can drive decisions and good decisions to then build things? I think that's still murky because the nature of that work is not analytic. It's qualitative in a lot of sense. So there are tools, right, that help in qualitative analysis. And they help you structure your thinking and share and collaborate. I think those are things that 
that help. But I don't think the tools solve the problem. I think the problem is really the discipline that not just product managers, but I think product organizations and companies need to have to say, we are going to make evidence-based decisions on Mm. what we will build, right? So if we go back to the beginning of our objectives, strategy, roadmap, plans at every level, right? Even at vision, quite honestly, at every level, what is the evidence? Like, hey, we have this vision. Okay, what's the evidence for that vision that this is the kind of idealized future you want to have? What market trends and what other things are feeding into that, right? Objectives. What is that? Where did that come from? Is it just some random number or is it there's a clear growth path that we have? So this idea of evidence and rigor in how you present and think about that evidence, I think is really important. I think it's still lacking in a lot of places, but I think it's maturing. It's really weird for me, I'll say personally, because my very first product manager job, so it was 1997, Mm -hmm. I joined a company. And I didn't know it because it was the first product management job I had. But boy, that company was well run. Ah. And on one hand, I learned a lot at that company because we had data. We had downloads of evals and we had data about what country and where and when and what they did and what source came in and all that. And we could do all that. And then it spoiled me because, (laughs) you know, I never had that again for about 10 years. But those are the kinds of things you really want to get people thinking about. Like, how can I really be rigorous at every step of the way and really make evidence-based decisions? Not to say just data-based decisions, but evidence-based decisions because evidence is broader and evidence can come in different forms. So I think that's a discipline that product managers need to bring to the table and companies can support them. And there is some tooling, right? Like historical analysis of sales data and funnel data and things like that. I think product managers should be looking at that. Mm-hmm. Because it can give them insights into what's happening, who's doing what, et cetera. But yeah, think about it at every step away and then challenge yourself to really step up. Don't just go, hey, we're not a data-centric or evidence-centric company. Say, hey, how can we become one of those companies and what can I do to impact that change? What a great way to bring it back to the original entry point in the conversation. And it reminds me of a one of my favorite quotes actually from Deming, which is short, but information is not knowledge. Yeah. And we have access to so much information. And what I'm hearing from you is that a product manager or somebody who wants to figure out how to really move the business forward can make sense of this information to create knowledge and use that information, find evidence, format yes. and a knowledge, build a vision, create a strategy, create a roadmap, and execute yeah. it via a plan. Yeah. If I can just finish on one thing, there's this whole debate and you can find it about our product managers, the CEO of a product and yes, no, whatever, right? And what I say is that even if you're not CEO of the product and like 99% of product managers are not CEO of the product, that doesn't stop you from thinking like a CEO and apply that and think about it. If I was CEO, what would I do? Yeah. Well, Saeed, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Is there something you'd like to leave the listeners with before we conclude the episode or you'd like them to go somewhere, anything like that? Yeah, so people can find me on LinkedIn. I think it's probably the best place. I tend to post regularly and I'm pretty focused on product-related issues. We can put my LinkedIn link, I guess, in the notes. Mm-hmm. And otherwise on Twitter, I'm Saeed W. Cohen, although my Twitter content tends to be 
more political than product related. <laughs> so you might be disappointed if you're looking for product related tweets. So don't you have an archive of blog posts going back like over a I, decade, something like that? You have a lot of writing. On yeah. This stuff. Okay. So thanks for writing. So I have a lot of blog posts on Medium. Mm-hmm. That's where I publish most of my new work. And then I have an old blog, which it's on productmanagement.org, but I'm not actively updating it. And every once in a while, I'll something will happen and I'll go, oh yeah, I wrote about that 12 years yeah. ago. And I'll bring that forward. And surprise, it's still relevant too. Nothing's changed in 10 years. It's still the same problems, different well, manifestations. You know, I think we're just in a weird loop of living <laughs> the same world over again, but just we advance our calendar, but everything else stays the same. Awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much, Saeed. Thanks, Adam. You've just completed another episode of Small Batches. Find links to connect with Saeed and I at smallbatches.fm slash 79. Also consider applying for the Flow Collective. We have a Slack group and hold weekly lean coffee discussions on all things flow, lean, and more. There's a link at smallbatches.fm slash 79. Just tell them Small Batches sent you. Anyway, I hope to have you back again in two weeks for the next regular episode. Until then, happy shipping.